like such a back and forth between you make progress, it's one step forward and then 10 steps back. And where's the limit? Hey everyone, welcome back to a new season of Go With The Flow. Flow is an intersectional feminist group here at the University of Southern California. And we'll be discussing different issues here based on our own experiences and also referencing research that our members compile for us. I'm Pia, the new Flow podcast director. And I'll give a little introduction about myself before we jump in. I'm a sophomore at USC studying international relations and global business. And I am super excited about being in Flow because I'm really passionate about feminism and advocacy and exploring the different ways that sexism and discrimination inserts itself into our daily lives and the structures that kind of dictate how we live. So, which is why kind of transitioning into our topic for today, the Texas abortion law, SB8, that really grinded my gears when hearing about it because of just how absurd it seemed. And I'm joined here today with Brandy, who's also an eboard member here at Flow, and I'll give her a chance to introduce herself a little bit. Hi, I'm Brandy. I'm a senior studying environmental studies. I am the mentorship director. Cool, and we're so excited to have you here. I'll talk a little bit about the law itself and kind of the details of it before we go into it. So the Texas abortion law, SB8, that's what it's called, it essentially bans abortion as soon as cardiac activity is detectable, which is around six weeks of pregnancy, which is before a lot of people know that they're pregnant. Most people don't even realize that they're pregnant until after that six weeks has passed. And, you know, the six-week cardiac activity rule is also very misleading because the heart hasn't even fully developed yet at that point when there's a heartbeat. There's no exception for rape or incest with this law, and it allows individuals to bring civil lawsuits against abortion providers or anyone else found to, quote-unquote, aid or abet illegal abortions with individuals or neighbors or anyone being awarded at least $10,000 for suing other people who have been getting abortions. And there have been whistleblower websites set up for people to anonymously report this stuff. And even though pro-life people claim that these websites aren't for people to report the women themselves and that it's to report the people who are actually carrying out the abortions, with an anonymous website like this, it could so easily be manipulated and exploited to target women. So I'm just wondering, like, what were your initial thoughts and reactions to hearing about this? It was shocking. Like, I, I couldn't believe that this was actually the headline and that these were the new roles in Texas. Like, it's crazy how much people care about women's bodies and, like, what they do to them. And they don't even give them the chance to say, like, I'm not ready to make this decision or I want control of my body. Or these cells and these, like, this small potential baby, I have to be forced to now have now. I, I can't understand how it got to be so that a whole state can, like, even persecute people and, like, seek them out and give other people money for telling them. Like, it's, it makes me so mad. And I feel grateful for not living in Texas, but for all, like, the young women or, like, the people that aren't able to, to travel or, like, I don't know. It's, it's yeah. awful. Yeah, no, I feel that's so hard because, I mean, when I heard about this as well, it was just... It was one of those things that was shocking, but also not surprising, because I feel Mm -hmm. like there's so many things recently where it seems that we're kind of going backwards, 
in terms of making progress, even though at the same time there's also like been news where we have been making progress in terms of you know gender rights and reproductive rights. And it's wild as well because it having again as you said like entire states make the decision for women and tell them what to do with their bodies. It's like, oh, can women just not make decisions for themselves? It really I feel like is symbolic of how women are perceived in society like oh they're not actual people we're just baby incubators and we need the white male lawmaker to tell us what to do because we can't do it ourselves you you explained it super well i can't i can't understand it oh yeah it's crazy as well because this law sb8 also just its existence disadvantages poor women of color it's not like an equally harmful law across all women and you know, in 2014, half of all the women who got an abortion in the U.S. were living in poverty, which has been increasing for the past 20 years since then, doubled almost, I think. And in Texas specifically, black patients accounted for about 30% of Texas abortions last year in 2020, even though the black population is only 12% of the Texas population. And not to mention there's obviously so much medical discrimination when it comes to black women they're much more likely to die in pregnancy related deaths than white or hispanic women and having a law like this that pretty much forces women to carry their babies to term regardless of if there are any complications or if they were raped or a victim of incest or anything like that it just adds on all of these layers of harmfulness and discrimination and it's just very disappointing yeah it i like seeing how much it disproportionately affects women of color is so frustrating it's like it's disproportionately affecting people in poverty and people of color and and we know this they're like facts and they still choose to make these laws where people are being forced to have babies and like they're not even given the option not to Mm -hmm. exactly I'm also wondering what you think are going to be the implications of this law, just in generally, whether that's for women in Texas or just women everywhere. I think it's going to be really upsetting and it's going to be like, I think it's a real shock that we thought that we were progressing or I felt like we were progressing and so many women felt like we were progressing so much so that we would have equal rights and like equal opportunity and there would be no discrimination within our workplace or within like medical fields. But it's showing that like <laughs> a whole state can decide that they want to control women again and like that they want to make that decision for them of whether or not to have a baby. Yeah, it's going I feel like it it's going to spread like those ideas that that they can control women's bodies. And also like the fact I I always go back to the fact of like why are women's bodies being controlled and then men's bodies aren't? Like there is no the only thing that they can do to like prevent a pregnancy is to wear a condom and then it's like why is there no male birth control why is there no male regulation on how many times they can have sex or how what they can do when they're with their bodies exactly like Like in a nine-month period a woman can get pregnant once whereas a man can impregnate so many people and like if people really want to stop abortions make men get mandatory vasectomies yes. until they're ready to have kids you know it's like the same kind of effect or the same kind of sentiment that people have when ban essentially banning abortion mm-hmm.
So, yeah, it's just really disheartening to see, I guess, that people seem to not actually care about abortion itself and, you know, preserving the sanctity of life, but more so just controlling women and doing the same thing that they've been doing for hundreds and hundreds of years. Absolutely. They they just want that control again. Yeah. So now we're going to be talking to Eva, who's also a member of Flow. So if you'd love to introduce yourself, that'd be great. Hi, yeah, so my name is Eva, and I've been on Flow now for about a year. Um, I did a previous podcast episode on menstrual cups, um, and I am the finance director of Flow. Yeah, perfect. We're very excited to have you here. Yeah, so I guess I just wanted to know, like, what were your initial reactions and feelings to when you heard about this news, and just kind of like what was going through your head? Yeah, so I think like at first I was very frustrated and disappointed just because I feel like we made so much progress recently in terms of women's rights and like LGBTQ plus rights and things like that. And this felt like a a really big step back. And especially like since it has already passed in the Supreme Court and we've had a lot of progress, like at the Supreme Court level, having this pass in one state and having a state able to block abortions like that seemingly like so easily was very disheartening to me. It made me very mad. Yeah, no, I completely feel that. It just seems that there's always like such a back and forth between we make progress, it's like one step forward and then 10 steps back. And then just kind of like, where where's the limit to all of that? Yeah, and it seems like we just keep getting more and more polar, polarized on every issue where there's not really like an in-between. So like, because this law essentially like bans almost all abortions because most people don't know they're pregnant before six weeks. So it seems like like two super extreme ends of the spectrum. And I, I don't think that's ever healthy. Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's a matter of healthcare at the end of the day. And I feel like healthcare is such a big issue in the US when it really shouldn't be. Like I'm from the UK personally and their healthcare is provided free. Well, nothing's free, but you know, pretty much free. And abortion is fully legal and it's provided free of cost by the National Health Service. So um, oh, that's incredible. Yeah. And like, although I've never actually gotten an abortion myself, it's nice to know that if I ever wanted one or needed one, that there's not all of these barriers and restrictions in place that's, you know, dictating what I should be doing with my own body. But it's definitely not the case here in the US. Yeah. And it's already like a hard enough decision, I think, to make as is. And there are like different blocks that some states have. So like having to get, you know, like a mandatory 24 hour waiting period, having to go to counseling first, like things like that. I'm not sure of like all of the different policies in different states, but I do think that if Texas had wanted to do something a little bit less extreme, they certainly could have. Um, that would still kind of accomplish the same purpose because it's already heartbreaking and like very challenging for some people to have to decide to get an abortion. And It just makes it worse. And I just learned the other day in my psychology of marriage and family class, I think it's 42% of teenagers or females before the age of, I believe it was 20, get pregnant at least once. So that was a shockingly high figure to me. Those don't all end in abortion. Some of them obviously end in births or like plan B or things like that. But I still was like, that is very high. Yeah, no, absolutely. And is for the Texas ban, six weeks, as you said, like most people don't even know they're pregnant in the six weeks. But if someone did happen to detect that they're pregnant within that period of time, 
they would probably only have like maybe a week or a very short amount of time to actually make that really difficult decision to get an abortion or not. And then to somehow put their entire lives on hold and somehow find their way to one of their very few abortion clinics in Texas where, you know, abortions are already very expensive and healthcare is expensive in general. So kind of it just makes decisions like this so much harder for women and restricts them so much. Yeah, it really doesn't give them any like thinking time. I hadn't even thought of that point before. Like, how are you going to have a conversation with your partner or whoever like you like are having the baby with? And like, it's already, like you said, so inaccessible. It's just, it seems like very counterproductive and counterintuitive. And also like, especially the way that it would be enforced through civilians and not the government, like that seems even more vindictive and just super messy. And I honestly didn't think a law like this could even pass legally, but somehow it did. So I'm curious to see like if it moves up and it's appealed and things like that. Yeah, I think the Department of Justice is suing Texas or something like that. (laughs) As they should. Yeah, as they should. So we'll see what ends up happening with that. Another thing I wanted to bring up was how literally in the same week that Texas passed this law, Mexico decriminalized abortion. It was a historic Supreme Court decision in response to a challenge to a local law that said women who get an abortion could be punished with up to three years in prison and a fine. And I mean, the news of this, which was historic, not only because it was unanimous, it also because it sets a precedent for the entire country, which is still very polarized on the issue. And I was reading in an article one of the national newspapers in Mexico conducted a poll before the Supreme Court decision and found out that 53% of Mexicans opposed the decriminalization of abortion and with 45% in support of it. And it really makes me think because it seems that there's this whole dissonance between public opinion and then what the law reflects with most of the public, granted not a huge majority, but most of the public opposing abortion but it now being legally decriminalized. It kind of reminds me of what's happening in Texas, in which, according to polls that were taken in May of this year, 58% of the public supported upholding Roe v. Wade, which legalizes abortion. So, I mean, I know that you're wanting to go into law and sociology and all of this is kind of what you're interested in. So I'm wondering (laughs) what your thoughts are on this and instances in which lawmakers' attitudes don't really align with the public's? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question. To start off with just like addressing this, I freaked out when I heard that Mexico um, legalized abortions, like in the best way possible, because I was like, this is just in my opinion, and this is not backed by any research or public opinion necessarily. But I was just, this is incredible. Like This is Mexico's way, because like Texas and Mexico are like so close to each other. And so I was like, this is Mexico's way of being like, I guess kind of like rebelling against the U.S. because now people can go. I mean, it would be so much harder than just getting an abortion in Texas, but now they can go to Mexico and get an abortion still. And I thought it was especially interesting since I was listening to the news and they were saying how since Mexico is such a Catholic country that it doesn't make any sense that they would legalize abortion. And it's, like you said, very historic. So I thought that was very interesting, the timing of all of this, since they have been fighting for um, to legalize abortion for so, so many years. And then for the second part of your question, I think my biggest frustrations with our legal system is 
the way that voting can be very inaccessible and like people can miss voting deadlines, registering to vote is hard. And so then that automatically, the polls and the public vote are never going to add up, especially if you look at it, a lot of either the, the older population, I think right now, and the really young populations, those are the two voting populations. And a lot of people in the middle aren't voting as much. At least that's what I learned last. And so I think it's just the laws that are passed just are very rarely reflective of the actual public opinion. And so I think that that just gets like very tricky since it is a, all the laws are like restricting people's personal rights and like day-to-day lives. And the people who are impacted by the most honestly probably didn't even have the opportunity to vote because of mm-hmm. those voting barriers and things like that. So yeah, that's kind of my thoughts. A really long rant, but I, <laughs> yeah, it's a, I think our voting system and political system is a very frustrating process. But with that being said, I do think there are a lot of good aspects of it too. So not to totally disregard it. And I think it's also good that laws can be appealed and like the government can sue taxes for this and things like that, because I think that does add some level of constitutional protection. But I think unfortunately, like in the interim, things like that take a long time to go through. So in the interim, like everyone living in Texas is going to have to live with these laws and is going to have to like have babies they might not be ready to have or have to get illegal abortions or end up being fined for, you know, just taking autonomy over their own body. So even though like there are protections in place that may eventually overturn this law, I think in the interim, like it's going to be a long time where women are having to exist with this reality. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, as you were saying, like stuff about illegal abortions and self-induced abortions, I think that People who create laws like these are usually men who are uneducated about basic biology and, you know, just like women's bodies and stuff like that. So I feel like the rationale a lot of the time is that, oh, if you criminalize abortion, then it'll stop. But that's not the case. Like abortion's never going to stop. Just legal, safe abortion will. And like self-induced abortions are so dangerous and deaths from that or illegal unsafe abortions are I think like a a leading cause of maternal mortality 68,000 women die annually worldwide dying from unsafe abortions and I mean like restricting access to safe and legal health care is just going to make people either do it themselves or take it take it underground basically so I think Mm -hmm the rationale for behind all of this and these laws being passed makes no sense to me. Yeah. And so I guess I have like two thoughts on that. Um, really good point. So like, I think at the end of the day, if a woman wants an abortion and historically, like, I feel like America and the government and most people have recognized, or a lot of people have recognized that if a woman wants an abortion, they're going to get an abortion. Hence why we developed safe and legal abortions in a lot of places. Um, And hence why it was passed at the Supreme Court level. Like this was not a decision that was made lightly or irrationally. Um, There was a lot of research and public discourse about it. And Texas kind of just like threw that all out the window um, with their law. And then the second thing is I I understand, I don't want to completely discredit people who are um, pro-life because I do understand that there are some religions and some religious values where um, abortion is not 
you know, supported or permitted. And I obviously like, I want to be respectful of that, but the same way that I want to respect some people's decisions not to get an abortion. Um, I also think like people's decisions to get an abortion should be considered, especially in instances like rape and instances where the pregnancy might potentially dangerous for the woman. Um, Cause a lot of times you can tell that ahead of time. And sometimes women like who would never otherwise get an abortion um, when they know the pregnancy has, they might incur substantial health risk from it um, and potentially death. And they do get an abortion just because, I mean, that's like the, the safest option for everyone if the baby and the mother are going to die. So I think there's a lot of um, things that maybe were rushed through or weren't considered. And I just, I wish that the same respect that I give to other people regarding their decisions not to have an abortion and their decisions of what they want to do with their body, I was that same respect was given in return. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the whole thing with being pro-choice. It's, it's not like people are going out and telling everyone who's pregnant to get an abortion and to kill their babies and murder their fetuses, you know, like whether or not if someone chooses to not get an abortion and carry a baby to term, that's fully their choice. And people should respect that fully in the same way that if someone does choose to get an abortion, that's their own choice and it should be up to them what they decide to do with their body. Yeah, I completely agree. It's very, very frustrating. And the term pro-choice in and of itself is so deceptive because it's like pro-choice, but there's only one choice. The choice is to not get an abortion. And that in and of itself is like literally making the decision. And now we're going to be talking to Maria, if you'd like to introduce yourself a little bit. Hi, I'm Maria. I am the creative director for Flow. And I am a senior at USC studying communication. I'm also from El Paso, Texas, which is a predominantly Hispanic city because it's a border city. It borders Mexico. I grew up pretty much around a pretty Catholic community, or at least my household is Catholic. So I would go to church a lot, but we can get into that in a little bit. I might be jumping ahead. Yeah, no. Okay. It's so great that you're here. I was just wondering, like, kind of going off of what you were saying just now, like you being Texan and growing up Catholic, how did the whole conversation of abortion play into your views growing up or how did your views growing up kind of affect your reactions to hearing about the new Texas law now? So um, growing up Catholic, I was pretty afraid of like any like relationships or like sexual intimacy. I was like, oh my God, I can never do that before marriage. For a long time, I was like, that was kind of my mindset because Catholicism kind of prefers or not prefers, but like has that mindset that you shouldn't have premarital sex. And so that was always kind of a thought in the back of my mind. So I feel like growing up Catholic, I already kind of had a fear of getting pregnant and the thought of not my community per se, not even my family, because my family wasn't exactly pro-life. Like they didn't teach me that, you know, having an abortion would be the worst thing ever. Like, even though like both of my parents are pretty Catholic, like they didn't enforce that idea inside of me. So growing up, I was pro-choice. 
the more I learned, the more I was like, oh, pro-choice just makes sense. There's no reason why anybody should be mandating a woman's body. It's their body, their choice. That's the mindset I grew up with. But yeah, so I was still afraid of like getting pregnant at any point even though I wasn't even like sexually active I was just my god if I ever get pregnant I was like oh I don't know if an abortion would even be an option for me like just because I didn't even know what the options were for me and my mom volunteers or she used to volunteer at this place called it's kind of like a planned parenthood but kind of more religious um But the more that she volunteered there, the less that she liked it because they were just so set in their ways and they would kind of shame people and push them towards pro-life, even though sometimes the girls that would come in there for resources didn't have the right financial stability to like actually raise a baby and like abortion would be the better choice in some cases, but they wouldn't really support that or they were very vocal about being pro-life and so my mom was kind of distancing herself from that and so like seeing her stand up for more like that pro-choice perspective was inspiring for me and just sort of like a reinforcement that if I were to ever get pregnant and I didn't want to keep the baby it would still be my choice but yeah so this law (laughs) to me is really just a step back a big big step back and it just doesn't make sense to me and it feels like women are losing control or you know people that identify as women just are losing control over something that is rightfully theirs and to take away those resources to me just makes it worse because it's not going to prevent abortions. It's just going to prevent safe abortions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, exactly. Like abortions aren't going to stop. If they actually care about, you know, preserving life, as they say, then pro-life people would prioritize the life of the mother and exactly. the choices of the mother and, you know, stuff like that. But it's nice that growing up, you had kind of both sides of that, where like you had that Catholic side, but then also you didn't feel restricted in making your own choices if you had to get an abortion. Yeah. And also, just to go back to your point about preserving life, to me, I'm like, they talk so much about like saving this clump of cells, pretty much. But there are so many orphans, so many foster kids, and so many just children without parents and do they care about them I don't think so because they're not doing much to fix their situations so I'm like why are you trying to just push this point that really isn't worth pushing just doesn't make sense to me yeah it's so hypocritical I feel as you were saying oh people are like oh just put the baby up for adoption if you don't want it but then the baby has the worst life it can imagine exactly it's not fit. And I don't know, I feel like it's hypocritical as well, because a lot of the same people who are anti-abortion or pro-life are using the whole my body, my choice slogan when defending not wanting to wear masks. And, you know, when that's literally an attack on the lives of other people. So it just doesn't seem to be any actual rationale behind all of this. Yeah, exactly. What do you think needs to change in order for or attitudes like this to not even be considered the norm or like to be passed in the future? Well, 
the main thing is electing people that reflect our feelings and are more open-minded and progressive. I feel like if that's not done, then we can't really make laws that are for us and for our generation and for future generations. Because if we keep electing old white men, you know, it's just <laughs> really not going to be effective. And honestly, even just having newer people in office would create new discussions, or at least I hope so. Mm-hmm. And I feel like just even having conversations, despite having polarizing perspectives and being on polar opposite ends of the political spectrum, as long as we are listening to each other and learning from each other, then we can cause effective change. But I feel like without that and without us actually talking, then it's just making decisions that really only please one side. You know what I mean? No, exactly. I completely agree with that. And as you're saying, like having those discussions and kind of starting those conversations is the first most important step, but it only really makes a difference if anyone's actually listening. I guess create an environment or a space where those changes can actually happen instead of just women talking to a wall, (laughs) because that's what it feels like a lot of the time. Yeah, I feel like we just need more diverse perspectives in politics because, I mean, AOC is doing what she can, but she's one person in one state and across the states, I feel like there just isn't enough diversity um, in our like elected officials. I feel like change also needs to happen at local levels. So just being aware of who is representing you, representing your county is really important. And making sure to go vote, that is probably the most important thing you can do as a citizen of the United States. If you have that right, might as well use it. Yeah, I feel like if you can change one community, then it'll spark changes in another community and it'll lead to change at the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really got to start small and build up because that's yeah. how anything happens. But that's a really good point. Is there anything else you would like to say? Just go vote, (laughs) do your research, keep learning, learn from other people, learn perspectives that are different from your own, and yeah, have a nice day. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Amazing. Okay, well, this was a great first episode. Thank you so much for being here and for talking with me, and thank you all so much for listening. If you want to learn more about Flow, follow our Instagram at USCFlow. And subscribe to this podcast for more episodes.